0: The path to success is rarely a straight line. And the path to success as a creative professional, that line tends to be especially squiggly. My name is Emmeline. I'm an independent recording artist, a singer-songwriter, a published author, and a lifelong creative. In my new series, Journey of an Artist, I talk to creatives from all walks of life about their passions, their paths, and the persistence they've employed to reach a point of professional and personal fulfillment. Throughout my journey, I've been blessed to interact with all kinds of artists, Voice actors, poets, dancers, musicians, graphic designers, stylists, and more. In Journey of an Artist, we discuss the decisions they've made, the challenges they've faced, the obstacles they've overcome, and where they'd like their vision to take them next. We also reinforce the belief that with love, grit, perseverance, and an abundance of joy, anything is possible. You can live the life you want, the life that brings you the most joy. And my guests are living proof. My guest is the insightful, inspiring Margot Martin. An alumna of the Pacific Northwest Ballet in Seattle, Washington, and a founding member of the Carolina Ballet, Margot ultimately left a career in performance to create her very own fitness studio, the Ballet Burn. She now manages a team of instructors who offer in-person and online classes in ballet, yoga, and fitness to anyone looking to strengthen and fall more deeply in love with their body. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Journey of an Artist. I'm so excited. My name is Emmaline and I'm here today with Marco Martin, who is the founder of Ballet Burn. How are you doing, my friend? I am fantastic. It's so good to see you. Thank you so
1: much for having me here in person.
0: I know. It's lovely. You're my first in-person guest. I'm very excited about that. It is wonderful. Um, How have you been during the pandemic? Oh, oddly, 2020
1: was a great year for me. I might be one of the the few that claim it. Despite missing being in person, um, my transition to online classes has been somewhat seamless and honestly been very good for the business. So in terms of a pandemic and me, it actually forced me into what I thought would be an uncomfortable space, but it ended up being very
0: beneficial. That's awesome. So to recap for our listeners, you own a studio called, called The Ballet Burn. I do. Which used to be a physical studio.
1: Yes. And yeah, I opened my first brick and mortar in 2016 and had a bit of a journey with all of that, navigating commercial real estate and the expense of all of that. And we ended up relocating briefly to a different location right before COVID happened. And so I was at that second location for about six months. COVID came along and shut me down. Sounds like a terrible thing to say, but it wasn't. So, yeah, I am the owner and founder of the ballet burn.
0: And you were able to move online. Yes.
1: I was still in the facility and basically just zooming my classes from the studio and thought, why am I still paying all of this overhead? I mean, I could technically be clearing out a space in my home and my instructors could be doing the same mm-hmm. completely eliminated overhead by making that decision. And so all of us, uh, us being myself and my team got the equipment we needed. Ironed out all of the wrinkles in, in the Zoom sound process, finally figured all of that out. So yeah, once I shuttered the studio, things were 100% online and continue to be so today.
0: That's awesome. Yes. It, it, oddly, yes, it is. And we, you recently came back to in-person. Very
1: slowly starting to introduce in-person classes again. As much as I believe in masks and how much it's helped, I did not want to force my community into working out in a mask and kudos to all of the dancers and trainers and anyone out there that is huffing it in a mask because I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it because Alley burn is so dynamic and you are sucking wind the whole time and you're always out of breath. And I thought that coupled with sweating and a mask, I just couldn't ask people to do that. So those that feel comfortable, whether they've been vaccinated or they've taken the right precautions, um, we are now in person. Mm -hmm. Once a week, I found a really sweet little spot in the design district here in Dallas that was willing to kind of be flexible with me kind of see how it started out and so now we're just once a week on saturdays in person and that class is still streamed online so ironically like the first saturday we did this it was packed and then the second saturday like half of those people were like it was kind of nice not to drive in so they logged in from home (laughs) so i think we've all gotten very used to the convenience of just finishing breakfast turning on the computer and doing Whatever you need to do, turn it off, hit the shower, and you're done. The commute part, I think, is a commitment for certain people, and mm-hmm. I totally get that. But I think there's still so much value in seeing someone's face, whether it's a distant high five or a real high five or a hug. I think those things are imperative, whether it's once a week or once a month or once a year. I think it still needs to happen.
0: Yeah, And you created a really unique experience when you created the Ballet Burn, because it wasn't just a class. It became a community.
1: Yeah, I didn't really set out with this grand mission when I started this program of like creating a community and empowering women and men to embrace their bodies and shapes. It's like slowly evolved into a broader mission. I think uh, when I started this whole thing, I had just been um, coming out of rehabilitation for two knee surgeries and was a very bittersweet time in my life because I was leaving my performing career and trying to figure out, okay, what does life look like after that? So that part was bitter, but the sweetness was that I had gained all this knowledge, um, not only from my physical therapists, but other training things that I've done along the way, functional movement systems to my yoga certification, just having been in the teaching world for so long, I was able to create sort of this next chapter and within this next chapter, I have met so many incredible people. I brought it to Dallas. And sadly, the, the community in North Carolina that I built, they stayed together for a while because there were other instructors. And now, not sadly anymore, they're back online, which is fantastic. Um, and then having been here in Dallas, yeah, I had no idea it would become such a solidified group of people. That even if they're not taking classes anymore, they're still friends, which mm-hmm. is really great. Yeah,
0: it's a beautiful thing to create a community. And you touch on something important that I want to highlight for our listeners, which is that you built this not necessarily with this grand vision, but as a way to sort of provide a next chapter for yourself coming out of a performing career. You were a ballerina. That is correct. Prior to founding Ballet Burn. Yes. What was that transition like for you?
1: Um I think in the heat of the moment, I just did what I, I would say about six months into that retirement phase and starting ballet burn and teaching full-time is when sort of my identity crisis hit. I had been identified as a, I still don't even really like saying the word ballerina. It doesn't <laughs> resonate with me, but that's what people sort of labeled me. And you take that off and you get to sort of redefine and rediscover who you are without that. And it was really hard. It was really, really difficult, but also really beautiful to find different parts of my personality that I hadn't really been able to utilize in a studio. If you think about ballet dancers in general, we don't really say a lot. You're using your body to express yourself. You're learning choreography. You communicate in rehearsals, but it's not about your voice. Your voice is your movement. And now that I didn't do that, and now I got to use my voice, it definitely helped me open up a deeper level, just as a human and yeah. connect with people in a different way um,
0: by using my voice. That's a really unexpected benefit, I guess.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think anybody realizes it in, until <laughs> later. It's like all of a sudden I am having to use my words to guide people and I'm still using my body. So I'm like sort of checking off that box for me and like how my body feels and moving and creating movement. But along with it goes the power of communication using your own words and greeting people and also like learning people's styles and music and all of that stuff it it just was a new way for me to operate
0: it sounds like your opportunities for expression increased as well because you were able to rely on things like your intellect things that don't necessarily always come across in physical movement or your personality and your desire to connect with people you had multiple options for how you were going to do that. It wasn't just, how do I call them in with my physical movement?
1: That's very true. I think I quickly began to understand that I was, I hope this doesn't sound terrible, but that I was serving other people rather than serving myself. And I think most people that have a professional career in the ballet world understand that when you're in the studio, yeah, you're a part of a company and it's, it's teamwork. But you are driving yourself. You are staring at yourself, pushing yourself. It's all about the you. And becoming sort of this leader of a community, all of a sudden, it's not about me anymore. This is about understanding who's walking in the door and what they need that day. Whether it's an extra push in the class, or maybe it's the exact opposite of that. It's like we back off and we do an hour-long shavasana or something. So yeah, it flips the script completely because it's, it's more about serving people that walk in the door rather than serving myself.
0: That sounds like for you, it was an expansive experience though. I will say it's taken
1: space and time for me Mm -hmm. to understand it. I think during the transition, the identity part was really obvious of like, oh my gosh, I I don't have that anymore. So who am I now? And this is year 11, rounding out year 11 of having been retired from the ballet world and just solely teaching and uh, working in the fitness world. And I'd say, honestly, it's taken me about this long to really see all of that, to see the bigger picture and watch how it has shaped my life and changed me as a person.
0: Yeah, we had Cherish Love Robinson on the show, and she talked about how one of the most important things that you can do for yourself as an artist is to know what you do, but to also know who you are Mm -hmm. and to know that those things are different. Yeah,
1: I think you can quickly lose some of the more interesting parts of who you are when all you identify with is your art. And it's a beautiful thing to become passionate and submersive within it. But it's also a beautiful thing to like take a step outside of it and see the bigger picture and see the other parts of you that aren't an artist or are a different type of artist or whatever that looks like. Um, Yeah, that's very true. I I don't know if they necessarily need to be separate, but there's Mm -hmm. definitely a recognition of one can't thrive without the other and vice versa. And knowing that eventually things evolve and change, and especially for a dancer, our bodies change and I will never forget growing up. My mom always said, you need to have something to fall back on. Well, and you're like 15. No, I don't. Yeah. I'm doing this forever. <laughs>
0: you're like this is my backup plan.
1: This is forever. And mm-hmm. it's not, there's truth and there's wisdom in it, but it takes time to accept that and to get there and to find the other bits the other things that maybe you are passionate
0: about. Yeah. And I like what you said about them informing each other, how the more you live as a person, the more you have to offer as an artist and the more you offer as an artist, the more you're able to enrich yourself as a person, the more you can step back and say, okay, well now I need time to breathe yeah, and time to figure out who I am outside of all of this. Because if I don't know that I can't bring anything to the art, mm-hmm. especially if you're serving a community of people. It can't just be about service all the time. You have to have something that you're pouring into yourself so that you have something to give. Mm -hmm.
1: That's a tricky balance as an instructor, which I know you understand. When do you carve out the time to be a student again? Like when do you get to eat? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of always dishing it out. Mm -hmm. That's such a hard balance. And I always recognize when I've been fed because my classes are better.
0: Do you find that that happens for you only when you've been fed artistically or when you've been fed spiritually?
1: Um, It's definitely more of like a spiritual and physical thing. Like Mm -hmm. if I go read something new or I talked to a new massage therapist or a body worker, or I speak to someone like yourself about a particular topic, I find that it's not really even coming from the art form. It's coming from other things and more of an intellectual standpoint, I think. And then I'm like, Oh, my brain starts working in a different way, and I start thinking of the body in a different way. And then all of a sudden, I have all these, these new things to, to dish out. So, yeah, the, the feeding process is so important. And it's so obvious because I feel like the community resonates. I feel like, like, oh, that's new, or oh my gosh, my body feels different now, or I can tell something's changed. Mm-hmm. And that's ongoing. I feel like it has to be ongoing.
0: Well, because you highlighted this 11 years.
1: Oh my God. Oh, that's a long time. Oh my
0: God. It's a long time. It's a beautiful length though, but it also, you have this program that is new for everybody who's coming in. Mm. Like everybody who's never checked into a class before comes in and they have this entirely new and unique experience. And they're like, oh, I've never done this before. This is so cool. But for you, this is like day, I don't, this is, I'm not a mathematician, but we're going on 11 years of you being like, yes, I know this format. Yes. Yes, I've taught this thing. Yeah. So you have to, I feel like part of the challenge for you is to bring a new energy to it Mm -hmm. and to find ways to make it new for you so that you can share in the joy of somebody who's coming in and feeling it for the first time.
1: Absolutely. I feel like it's a fear, honestly, of mine to become too repetitive. Hmm. And so within this community, this incredible community in Dallas and now all over our country, most of the Ballet Burn community are diehards. They are there every day. Sometimes they're there twice a day. And if they're not, they're there, I don't know, three times a week. It's not often I get like a once a month -er. or people that are in it. They're like, this is what I do. Uh, And they, you know, they thrive on that daily ritual. And so that puts, that really puts the pressure on me to remain creative and remain fresh. And I like that part Mm -hmm. because it helps me stay engaged.
0: And this is a big part of it, right? And this is where I think you start to realize the importance of the community because your class hopefully feels different when there are people in the room like you get energy in a different way I would imagine when there are people in the room than you do when it's all on a screen
1: yeah it was really difficult that first few months of like how do I draw this out but the energy shows up because the people show up right and as soon as I hit play on whatever song is starting our class I mean it's on Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to not deliver that But naturally, you're in person, and so the literal transfer of energy from one human to the next is there. And the more humans that are in that room or in the park together, the crazier I am because I'm so (laughs) jazzed about it, and I I just get so excited because we're all there to like kill it and have fun together. So yeah, the in-person thing definitely translates typically into a more challenging class. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It still happens online. It it can still happen. And thank goodness it can still happen that way.
0: Well, and I I mean, I would imagine too, that the more people that log in, the more excited you get. Like when you're staring at a full gallery of people, it's different than staring at two faces or staring at two people with their cameras off. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, In the beginning, everybody's at home, you know, like Mm -hmm. last April, May, and they're getting into this new lifestyle and no one's like really going to the office anymore. And so mm-hmm. they're just logging into classes all the time and the novelty of it for people that used to take with me in different states log or let me say this, when I have a free class and suddenly there's like 40 people logged in. Oh my gosh. What that does for the ego. Like, whoa, <laughs> yeah.
0: everybody dance. Um, I a little shot of epinephrine.
1: Oh, it's so fun. It's so, yeah. so, so, so fun. Um. But even if it is two people and I can't see their face, and now more often than not, well, no, not more often than not, now sometimes, um, offering Mm -hmm. recorded classes for everything that's online. And so occasionally I have a class where I have 10 people signed up, but I know because I see their names, I'm like, that person is not going to come to the live version. And I end up teaching myself, Mm. knowing that those 10 people are going to receive the link and they're going to do that class whenever they can which is great. Like how convenient is that? It's a great development in what we're doing. But to pull it out on myself, for myself, that's an even different more like a, and a harder challenge than just like two people that I can't see, but I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. And knowing like eventually somebody's going to watch this and it's it's their workout of the day, I'll still bring it. Got to bring the heat.
0: Yeah, of course. But it it sounds like you're finding different ways to sort of tap into your own personal energy. And then to feed off the energy that you know is coming back at you.
1: Yeah, I will say, and I know you'll get it really since day one Mm -hmm. of teaching this. Well, let's go back of dancing, whether I'm not in the mood or I'm sore or there's two people there or there's no people there. As soon as the music starts, it's on. And that goes all the way back to just normal ballet class. But there's something very powerful about music. And
0: creating these playlists and curating that journey. It's powerful. Well, and you you get to give yourself energy through those artists.
1: Oh. Thank goodness for
0: Spotify. Uh, right. And iTunes. And Pandora and all of the different and ways all we discover of the music. Things,
1: yes. And the radio still. Yeah, of course. 917 KXT.
0: Oh, hey. look at you going local. I love it. <laughs> KXT. I mean, yes. Also grateful for Deep Elm Radio, who's been kind enough to host this show. Thank you, Deep Elm Radio. And kind enough to pull more local artists into the mix, because to your point, music matters. Mm. And there is something very special as a performer of any kind, whether you're performing music, whether you're performing as a teacher in a class, because what you do is performative. Yes. Like everybody's watching you. A, because we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing. And B, because like that's the source of the energy. Mm -hmm. But there's something special in performance about the moment that that starts, like the moment that the figurative hourglass gets turned over. There's something very special that happens. And for me, at least, that space is transcendent. And the whole time the performance is going, nothing touches that space. Mm -hmm. To your point, not soreness, not tiredness, not a bad attitude, not illness. Like once you're in it, you're in it. And having that escape is a really cool thing. And being able to tap into that is really beautiful. And I think it is something that comes across in your classes.
1: Thank you. I have often heard, especially when it's like a ballet technique class, or if you take yoga, it happens a lot in yoga. It's more of a challenge in the quieter spaces, but that you can't, there's not time to think about anything else, whether it's a ballet burn class or a Again, specifically the ballet technique class, because it's like basically a different language. If you start thinking about what's for dinner, it's over,
0: right? You've missed the whole combination. You have no <laughs> idea
1: what's going on or what's right or left. And so there's something I think so vital. I think there's something so vital to dedicating time where there is no extracurricular thought. Considering what we do in our crazy time of 2021 and our phones and our devices and all of the stimuli that surrounds our, our busy monkey mind to be able to carve out an hour where you don't have to think about work, your broken car or bills or a family issue, whatever it is that's got that chitter chatter going on in your mind, like, oh, just a reprieve to be you. That's it. I love that.
0: Has it always been that way for you? With teaching? With teaching and with performing.
1: Yeah. The rehearsal process, not so much because it's very busy and it's literally problem solving with the other people in the room and with your body. But once you're on stage, there's nothing left upstairs. Like there's nothing left but music, choreography and emotion. And it's funny, I was just talking to my dad uh, about sort of special dad-daughter moments because of Father's Mm. Day. And the first time I experienced sort of this like, overwhelming sense of elation Mm -hmm. in our performance where there was nothing but joy from my fingers to my toes, my soul, just nothing but joy. I was performing Balanchine's Tarantella and my dad was in the audience. And I just was like, in the yoga world, we call it Samadhi. Mm -hmm. It's just pure bliss. There's nothing left but joy and bliss. And Mm -hmm. you have a tambourine and that it's really fun. Actually, you'd be really good at it because real tiny oh. and real quick. It's like little quick, fast little movement. Mm-hmm. And there's tambourines, so you'd be really good at that part. But you get to you hit the tambourine on rhythm and I ended up breaking the tambourine because I was just like, wow, ah! so full of joy. So yeah, I, I suppose it has always existed this idea of of arriving at a quiet mind where there's not a lot of extra busyness.
0: I ask because that's something in your yoga classes that you're very intentional about creating. From the very beginning of class, you remind people to carve out a space and to quiet their mind and to put things away. And you remind them periodically during class that if you you know, feel like your mind has wandered, bring it back. If you feel like you're not in this moment, bring it back. Remember that you can put those things away. And as somebody who is extraordinarily busy, that's a difficult task for me. Put your mind away is hard. But and I was I was super skeptical of restorative yoga in particular because I was like, oh, it's quiet. The whole thing is quiet what am I going to do but to your point about community you create diehards like you have fanatics and so if we show up to one class hey there's the community pressure are you going to stay and then there's also the joy of being with people who you care about who are doing this really magical thing together and you're like yeah okay I'll stay and it was really beautiful for me to see the first time and to sort of be able to follow down that rabbit hole of creating that space because it is difficult So if our listeners are thinking like, yeah, ballet burn sounds awesome. I'm going to take that class. I don't know about this restorative thing. Highly recommend because that space is really important and really a gift. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, The yoga
1: is life and it's a practice. I think by planting small reminders throughout a class, I hope that translates like beyond the class. Like as Mm -hmm. you leave the studio or your zoom call, whatever, and then move throughout your days. Like those constant little seeds are being planted of like, Oh, oh, let's be present. Like I am spiraling on this topic that isn't real. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to this moment. And it's, it it happens all day long. I don't know. Maybe there's a guru somewhere that, that does it 24 hours a day. Uh, that's impressive. It's (laughs) It's a Constant practice. And I think, um. I think the idea of being still in general, mm-hmm. whether that's a, a mind-fluctuating thing or it's a body-fluctuating thing, causes people a little bit of anxiety. Like, oh, I have to be still? And like, you, you ask someone to like hold a position or just lay flat for a minute, and the fidgeting begins. So how do you create that space? And not only for that person, but for a community. And it's a practice. It's definitely a practice.
0: Do you ever give that command to be still and then watch on screen as everybody starts to fidget? I'm not
1: that sadistic <laughs> <can> I? <laughs> no I often especially in a restorative class I'm mm-hmm. usually not watching I feel like it's such a sacred moment for most I'm not investigating making sure you're being perfectly still or that you're still paying attention I mean quite often yes people might wander away from screen <laughs> and then they come back but more in a ballet class or ballet burn am I focused on people on the screen or in person but in
0: a yoga class you
1: know Allowing people the space to just do what they need to do.
0: I I think what's really another thing that I appreciate about your yoga practice is that you're very intentional about offering modification choices and listening to your body, which is kind of the opposite of the ballet experience where you're encouraged, just go hard all the time. And I'm sorry, that wasn't 180 degrees. Where was your turnout? Yes. You know, but you, you sort of fight against that and you give people permission to show up as imperfectly as they need to. And remind them of sort of the beauty of that Mm -hmm. and the beauty of treating your body with grace, wherever it is that day and how that day may be different from yesterday or different from tomorrow. Do you think the ballet experience is part of what informed that choice for you? Absolutely. In the ballet world, it's just like extreme, go more, push
1: harder. It's all more, 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 more. And when I first was introduced to yoga, it was, whoa, 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 (laughs) less. Let's do less. And let's be kind. And everything I did in, in the first yoga classes I took was just push and push and push. And I, what a gift for someone to be like, no, you don't have to do it like that. You can just calm down and be where you are. And like, it's so healing to hear those words. It taught me so much about grace. Ironically, right? Because you think ballet is so graceful. Oh, that's a very literal It's expression. a different
0: kind of grace. But the, the grace
1: that comes in the yoga world is man it's very healing so yes
0: what was your first yoga exposure i was
1: probably 15 or 16 and my mom and dad had some might have even been the why. you know i grew up in richardson i don't remember where we were mm-hmm. but i wandered into a class and was you know it was all bendy and i'm like ooh, i'm gonna nail this <laughs> okay that's cute to be competitive in yoga And then several years later, I discovered Bikram, which really spoke to my competitive edge because you win by just staying in the room because it's so hot. And they, um, those instructors guide you really to compete with yourself. And they, you stare at yourself in the mirror. It's very similar to the ballet world. You Mm -hmm. stare at yourself in this mirror and you push and you tell yourself, you're the teacher, you can do it. So initially that was great for my personality to step into the yoga realm. And then I discovered more of a hatha-based practice, and that's where I sort of received that grace of like, whoa, it doesn't always have to be over the edge. Let's rein it in. Let's start to cultivate stillness. Let's mm. cultivate this space of not stressing about what you look like in the in the moment. Instead, what does this feel like? Um, See, so yeah, I was really the Bikram competitive thing that pulled me in, and then when I started learning the bigger picture of yoga, I think is when I was a little bit changed, not a little bit, a lot of, a lot of bit changed, a lot
0: of changed. A very lot. A lot. Yeah. It is a difficult message to take out the competitiveness of ballet. <sighs> yeah. that's a... I'm going to open up that can of worms. <laughs> we can. <laughs>
1: it's, a, I mean, the ballet world has evolved so much into literal competitions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think they've been around, but when I was a kid, it was you know, it wasn't this big thing. And now kids growing up today, they, that's all they focus on is competition. And I think you'll hear all kinds of people say, you can't judge an art form. And I have to agree. I'd have to agree. Um, I think the competitive side of ballet comes really, like I said, with yourself. Yes, you're trying to surpass your class. Yes, you're trying to get the job. Then yes, you're trying to get the part. Then you can try to get the promotion. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant, again, it's all about more. More. Harder,
0: better, faster, mm-hmm. thinner. Yes, thinner, <laughs> which is a journey. Ugh. But I think your experience in that seems to have informed the way you approach the studio you've created, which is to make sure that grace, not the kind that you show up on stage with, but the kind of grace you give to your body and to the people in your life, has really informed your approach to Ballet Burn, to creating a space where people don't feel shamed where they're not staring at themselves in the mirror and thinking this is where I need to subtract or this is where I need to elevate further or this is where I need to be better and harder but thinking oh I could be stronger or oh this is better than it was yesterday or hey I couldn't I couldn't last all the way through the arms section with American pie the first time but this fourth of July (laughs) (laughs) a year later a year later yeah so it becomes about celebrating personal progress which is different than shaming yourself into progress
1: yes yeah that approach honestly has been the way i've healed my own personal wounds from the ballet world not to say i was you know super damaged but i'm sure you get it you are in the ballet world as well and anyone out there that's listening that has been in the ballet world it's tough and there's a lot of mental damage that happens and I think I quickly understood what I needed to do, not only for myself, but for other bodies of uh, creating a space where everybody really does feel accepted because that's what it's all about.
0: But that's such a huge gift to give, especially in the fitness world Mm. where there is a lot of competition and there's a lot of focus on like becoming your best self. To your point, a lot of that work is internal Because we aren't always our happiest when the number on the scale is the smallest or when, you know, we're slipping into the greatest number of zeros in our dress. Mm. You know, sometimes we're happiest when we like look around and recognize all the people in our orbit and recognize the ways in which they pour into us and the ways in which they let us pour into them. And that has nothing to do with how we look in the mirror.
1: I think that's just it. When we can completely shift the focus from the aesthetic into the emotional
0: Mm.
1: it's a game changer when we're happy on the inside when we love ourselves as we are on the inside the outside reflects that and whether that means you weigh 300 pounds or you weigh 100 pounds i don't care what i care about is how you how you feel on the insides where is that love for yourself? And you walk forward from there.
0: I think that's that's a really beautiful gift to give people, especially in fitness. But it's a beautiful gift to give people anytime to allow them to show up as they are mm-hmm. and to say, no, this is enough. Like yeah. just the fact that you came today is enough. Yeah. And if all you need to do today is lie on your mat, that's enough. Or if, you know, you make it halfway through the cardio section and then you're just step touching for the rest of it. Like that's enough. That's
1: cool. Yeah. Meeting people where they are as a skill and not expecting anybody to be any more or any less than they are today in that moment and letting go of our preconceived notion of of what standards are. Hmm. Everybody is as they should be and on some kind of journey too, respecting that is important.
0: That's a difficult balance to strike, to create the encouragement for people to find a deeper and greater appreciation of themselves to say there's something deeper inside of you and you can tap into that. But the fact that you came is enough. Mm -hmm.
1: I think starting with that, you know, starting with, I love you. I accept you. I see you perfect as you are right now. God, does that empower people? And with that kind of empowerment comes personal growth. With personal growth comes change. So that's an individual process, but to start with the idea of I love you, I see you, I hear you, I appreciate you, I respect you right now as you are. The rest is their journey, right? So I think the balance happens just
0: with the exchange. That's cool.
1: Ooh, we're getting so existential.
0: I mean, this is what tends to happen with yeah, these chats. No oh, we we tend to get a little deep in here. We don't usually have Chloe on the couch to, you know, shift occasionally and remind us that she's there. She's a good girl. She is a good girl. Dogs are the best. Yes. In fact, Burn has a little mascot. Oh, yes. And your companion? Uh, his name is Squirt.
1: He's uh locally famous?
0: He yeah, is. He's really not, but I mean, I feel like people recognize squirt at the dog park.
1: Hey, he got tagged on Miriam Cosina's Insta page. feels important. Yes, squirt. Um, I haven't started bringing him back to in-person classes yet. Pretty sure that's going to be happening by the end of the summer.
0: Oh, he misses his friends. I was going to say his friends miss him, (laughs) but that's, that's part of the fun. And part of how I feel like you were able to build community is. It wasn't just Margo, the instructor who showed up, but it was like also Margo, the dog owner who showed up, you know, or Margo, the dog lover who was like, oh, you have a dog, bring your dog.
1: Well, and now online, I really get to see what's going on in people's homes with their pets. It's hilarious. I love it. I love the cats. Well, I don't really love the cats as they sashay across the screen and All the dogs, all the dogs, except for one or two are just like flopped over, totally snoozed and unaffected by the insanity that their owner is doing in the living room. And there's a few that like won't stop bouncing around, but yeah, I love, I love the animals. It's very sweet.
0: I feel like that's one of the gifts of the Zoom moment is being able to really see inside people's homes Yeah, and really really see inside people's (laughs) lives. And it humanizes everybody. You know, when you're on a Zoom call with your boss, who was previously always in a suit, sitting behind a desk that you recognized as like the place where you went when bad things happened. Sure. Seeing them there is different than seeing them like on the couch while their kid runs in and out of the shot. Yeah,
1: I love it. I love that part of it. Yeah. Like watching home renovations going on or I got to give a shout out to those of you that turn your screen on before class and clean. (laughs) That's my favorite. Yeah, it's been, it's created a different level of intimacy. (laughs) People who use their
0: vacuums as their ballet bar. Oh, it's amazing. Or their chairs. Creativity. I think that that's, you know, an illustration of the greater resilience that you're sort of talking about that you were able to find in yourself in sort of reinventing who you were first as a dancer, Mm -hmm. then as a teacher, and then as just a whole person who got to interact with this beautiful community that you created and learned how to exist like in and outside of that community. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hopefully, I continue to evolve. Flexibility is key. Pun intended. Um, but yeah, figuring it out one day at a time.
0: That's the most any of us can ever do. I agree. But I think that that's a special journey to create moments of reinvention for yourself and then to turn around and give that to other people.
1: It seems to be my life's calling.
0: It's funny how sometimes we fall into that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I did not have any idea. You asked me 15 years ago, if I would be working in the fitness industry, that would have been a hard no. Really? Hard no. <laughs>
0: what, what did Margot think she was going to be doing 15 years ago? No clue.
1: I really had a hard time seeing past the end of my own nose when it came to career stuff. Like the longevity piece or like goal setting, that was not in my vocabulary. So it was very much today is today. I'm gonna to survive today and tomorrow is tomorrow. I'll get there when I can. Didn't have that sort of projective attitude. Was it the wisest approach? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a plan. My plan was to become a professional ballerina and I did that. It was not in my plan to tear my ACL and have a preceding three surgeries. <laughs> but that's how life works, I think, you know? Whether you make a plan or not, There will always be things that happen that you couldn't see coming, I guess.
0: (laughs) So did you choose retirement or do you feel like you were forced into it? I chose. Yeah.
1: I decided to retire. Um, I had come back to the stage and my left leg was healed. It just wasn't quite the same in my opinion. (laughs) And perhaps I wasn't patient enough with that healing process, Um, but I did not want to compromise my skill just for the sake of doing it I could have kept going but it wasn't the same like my body wasn't the same and I think more importantly my heart wasn't the same um I knew I I knew in my guts that it was time to move on and that was a really hard decision to make and actually communicate that and say that out loud was really difficult but I I knew it was time so
0: hold the plug there is a lot, we talk a lot on this show about the terrifying but rewarding nature of sticking to your gut, mm. recognizing that call when it's placed upon you, yes. and then answering that call, and how that is simultaneously really scary and really rewarding. Mm-hmm. But it's often scary because you don't know what's on the other side of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I had no idea. I think the, the call of the gut or instinct or whatever you want to call it is always right always right and yes for some reason it's almost always the most difficult but
0: well it's it's always right but we don't always follow it no <laughs> immediately you know we sometimes we we wait or we put it off or we say okay but is that really the call is that really maybe it's this other thing
1: there's that busy mind all the chit chat yes
0: exactly Doubt. This idea that we can logic our way out of what the universe has laid out for us. Mm
1: -hmm. Trust. Trust
0: the gut. (laughs) And that's what people do during yoga, right?
1: (sighs) That's one of the goals, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Being present. And learning to shut all the other voices out. Mm
1: -hmm. That practice.
0: One of the things that I always appreciated about your yoga class is that you never, I mean, I grew up in the ballet world, which you know. I don't actually don't know if our listeners know that or not, but the ballet world is very much look at the girl in front of you, look at the girl behind you, look at the girl next to you, be better than that girl, which is such a toxic mentality for so many reasons. But in yoga, having grown up in the ballet world, to your point about being bendy, the temptation is to show up and be like, what's the girl in front of me doing? What's the person next to me doing? What's the person behind me doing? And to, to not allow yourself. To be present because you're trying so hard to be something else. Mm -hmm. But you encourage shutting out that voice and being in your space, on your mat, in your body, and listening to that. And that's a difficult journey, but also something that is really fruitful when you learn to take it outside of the yoga studio.
1: Yes. Yes. There's no more comparisons. It's very challenging, but very Mm -hmm. healthy.
0: I think one of the things that you learn when you start to fight the call of your gut is that nine times out of ten, the voices telling you not to follow that call are not actually your voices.
1: Sure. Past experiences. Yeah.
0: Or voices from other people that you've internalized. I mean, that is the thing for most of us that have followed any sort of creative path. If mm-hmm. We've all encountered that person who's like, oh, well, that's an interesting career choice. Sure. Why would you do that?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of those voices. Mm-hmm. A lot of those. I think that there's something valuable to hearing that and moving through that. Anybody that doubted your choice or my choice, for whatever reason, serves some kind of purpose. Mm-hmm. And whether that voice is still a nagging bit or not, there's. I feel like there's always. I don't want. I guess value is not the right word, but it's like seasoning. Okay. And you're cooking (laughs) and you season something. Mm -hmm.
0: Those Mm -hmm.
1: voices, I feel like are a little bit of seasoning to Mm -hmm. our choices. And if we can hear them, understand who said them and why, and then look beyond them and make a wiser choice. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I had several of those voices, Mm -hmm. but my own personal voice was way louder. Not every single time, but most of the time, my voice is way louder and I still can hear that, but I think mm-hmm. I learned from them somehow, some way. And yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Well, well and
0: every time you prove them wrong, I feel like you gain faith in your yeah. own voice.
1: I just don't, I don't want to get like too down the road of like,
0: oh, I proved those people wrong. No. You know what I
1: mean? Because it's, we can. Right. We can definitely
0: go that route. Well, that's the this. competition. Yes. Is the, ha I was right. <laughs> see, see how right I was. <laughs> Yeah, But it's less about that, I feel like, and more about affirming the voiced side of you Mm -hmm. that says, today your Shavasana needs to be 10 minutes. And rather than getting up off your mat, because everybody else got off their mat, Mm -hmm. being like, no, it's okay for me to sit still. I feel like listening to our inner voices is a form of grace. Yeah, and
1: I suppose the more you cultivate a quiet mind, the voice that tends to arise first
0: is your own and really learning to listen to that. And that's a really beautiful thing. So if our listeners are sitting here listening to this conversation and thinking to themselves, I need a yoga class and I need some ballet burn in my life and I need probably some ballet technique from somebody who's going to give me the grace to use my vacuum as a bar. Where is the best place for them to learn more about you and to find you? Uh, The website
1: is probably the easiest place to go to and that's just simply theballetburn.com. We do have an Instagram page. Mm -hmm. The handle is the same, theballetburn. And yeah, if you go to the website, um, you can click kind of through the different pages. There'll be some class descriptions. There's a video that we produced several years ago, but it really gives kind of the soul of the class, mm-hmm. kind of get the vibe. Uh, you can read my, a little bit more about my story, and then you can also see the schedule and sign up for classes there. Pretty easy. If you need to to chat with me, you can always email me. I email people back very quickly, info at theballetburn.com. But yeah. That's
0: it. And we'll make sure all of those things, if you're listening on a podcast, are linked. All you have to do is scroll up and click. But if you're listening to us on the radio, that's theballetburn.com. B-A-L-L-E-T-B-U-R-N. The, as in the one and only. The only Ballet Burn. (laughs) uh You do have some protection of your intellectual property. Yes. It is officially the only Ballet Burn. That is correct. It is trademarked. Developed. Founded. Directed. (laughs)
1: by margot martin oh, yes.
0: thank you so much friend for taking the time to come in and talk today i really appreciate it it is so inspiring to get to chat with you and to hear your story and to hear the ways in which you continue to give yourself grace to evolve and to grow because i think i think you inspire the people that walk into your classroom to do the same thing
1: thank you thank you for having me and uh for letting me use my voice always thanks
0: friend it's so good to see you. You too, in person. Can't wait to see you in class on Saturday, and I hope all of our listeners log in and join us. Yes, please do. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of Journey of an Artist, featuring the resilient Margot Martin. To learn more about Margot's beautiful venture, The Ballet Burn, follow her on Instagram at, at @theballetburn or visit theballetburn.com. That's the ballet, B-A-L-L-E-T, burn, B-U-R-N. For behind-the-scenes information and more about Journey of an Artist, you can follow me, Emmeline, on social media at at Emmeline Music. That's at E-M-M-E-L-I-N-E, music. Don't forget to check out my other show, Journey of a Song, wherever you listen to podcasts. Journey of an Artist airs Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep Ellum Radio and is available as a podcast the very next day. It's sister show, Journey of a Song, airs Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep LM Radio, and past episodes are available wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll see you next week. Until then, stay passionate.